0: You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, welcome everyone to our new class. I realized that I never even put in a week's break between the two classes. That's why you guys are all looking, we're here again. Okay. And part of me was thinking yesterday, which was a holiday, which was not a holiday for me because I realized Tuesday is still coming, whether or not I have a holiday on Monday. So yesterday was a workday for me as I was getting my head around uh, this new class, which uh, I probably should have put off one week, but oh well. Hindsight's 2020. let's keep going. Um, we are going to enter into this new class called on um, the Beatitudes and what's kind of fun about this one um, I mean the class is going to be fun I, I think it's going to be interesting uh, I'm super interested in it so I think uh, I, I think it, it'll be uh, we'll explore lots of really interesting dimensions to the life that we're invited into by Jesus the other thing that's kind of different about this class, is I don't know if you realize, but starting this Sunday, we're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, of which the Beatitudes are a part, as you as you well know. And so what we're going to be doing is on Sundays, we'll be doing a, a, a message um, on the Sermon on the Mount, and for eight weeks at least, or for the next eight weeks, um, This class will be a deep dive in what we're doing on Sunday mornings. And so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there may be some overlap, but this class, we're going to go a lot deeper. And so it's going to be kind of cool. I hope, we hope that what you hear on Sunday is going to be reinforced or deepened on Tuesdays. Okay. So let's pray. And then we will dive into our, our topic tonight. Jesus, we come before you. Uh, recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You are the risen Lord. And we just celebrated this. And we will continue to celebrate this. Um, Every day, we are reminded that you are Lord over all things. And you are Lord over our lives. And our desire is to to walk with you and to be transformed by you into the people that we were created and redeemed to be. And so to that end, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance as we dive into your greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we commit tonight to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I may be in a minority here. But I believe, I believe that something significant is happening in the church in Canada. I know every article you read, oh, the church, you know, the church is dying, the church. I I disagree. I think there's something going on. I think there's a hunger for something that is real, something that we can build our lives on. Uh, I believe people are getting frustrated and overwhelmed in being blown around by the strange ideas that fly through our news feeds. I think our world is hungry, is hungry for a new way of living, a way of living that brings meaning to life. I think people are longing for something that's solid. And a lot of the philosophies that are floating around are, are, are attempts of people trying to find something that they can stand on. But everything that they turn to seems solid, but is not. Like I think about, I was talking to a buddy of mine, we can't, won't go into this, but there's just this real preoccupation with this thing called Stoicism, which is an ancient philosophy. But one of the key Stoic writers said, one of the most meaningful things a person could do is uh, commit suicide. Um, I was reading, and we talked about this in our last class, about this new thing called optimistic nihilism. Nihilism it means nothingness, that there's no meaning to life. There is no truth. This world that we live in and the universe that we live in, in fact, the universes that we live in um, are all absurd. There's no meaning to life, but optimistic nihilism says there's no meaning to life, but hey, you can make whatever meaning you want out of this life. And that somehow makes it sufficient. So that was the theme, as we talked about in this, I won't say it was that great of a movie, that, uh, what was it called? Uh, Everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. So I think there are people, though. I think people, by and large, are starting to wrestle with the fact that to live your life without any sort of mooring is anxiety-provoking. Um, creates a deep sense of fear. And I feel a lot of people are just feeling disoriented in life. But here's the challenge. So I, I am optimistic. But the challenge is if you if you talk to the average person and they're struggling in life and you say, hey, you know where the answer is to be found? The answer is to be found in the church. How do you think that would go over? Like a lead balloon. <laughs> yeah, I mean it it most likely would go over like a lead balloon. Um and yet and yet I would say this. I would say that we live in such a such a post-Christian culture that a lot of people, if you say you know church may be the answer, a lot of people might be, oh, okay, what's a church? Because I do think we we're in a place where people don't know very much about church or know very much about God, let alone who Jesus is. But I do think a lot of people would laugh and say that you're out of your mind, because when you think of church, you typically do not think of a radical countercultural group of people <laughs> you know when you think of the church you don't think hey those guys those those church people man they're fully alive in fact you may hear an echo of is teaching in Revelation 3 1 you have the name of being alive but you are dead and a lot of churches are dead and yet and yet and yet I think there might be um an openness to the church and openness to Jesus's teaching that we have not seen for a very long time now I could be a false prophet I did say it was going to be sunny and 20 degrees on Sunday okay now just for the record just for the record in my defense in my defense I know I said this from the pulpit that last Sunday was going to be sunny and 20 the week before and everybody cheered and it was nothing like 20 degrees. It was pouring rain and cold. Okay, so yesterday or non-Sunday, I thought, okay, I just must be out of my mind. So I looked at the Weather Channel and it said next Sunday. Next, I'm not kidding you. It said next Sunday, sunny and 23. I'm like, yes, well, at least next Sunday. Okay, now I look today. And it's twelve and raining, so it's not my fault. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's twenty somewhere, but I, I, I think it's that that this hour is twenty two minutes, right? Have you ever seen that in Winnipeg that they always look ten days down the road is plus one just to give people hope when really they have no idea. Yeah. Anyhow, but I do believe that we're in a fresh position. In Canada to proclaim in love the truth, the truth of Jesus. That when we align our lives to Jesus, our lives will work as they're supposed to work. When we align our lives to the way of Jesus, we're transformed into people that we are meant to be in Jesus. We can become a new humanity. And that's going to be our theme of, of this class. So what I like to do is just to get us going, just to get the get the juices going in your minds. Um I'm going to give you a question. You guys can talk around, talk this question around your tables, or you guys can do this online. What excites you about the church today and what discourages you? Okay. And so I'm going to let you guys online talk this through. I'm going to, just going to pause everything. Okay. So, um, some really cool engagements on, online. Uh, anything that encourages you in our um, incarnate people? Uh what encourages you right now about the church? I'll, I'll say that uh, looking at the church building and the church. Yeah. I think what's been very uh, seven years is that uh, you can have PM really something that you're it's, it's all... oh that's cool yeah so you have different voices i mean that's one of the things that i always enjoyed with often preaching with mark pastor mark is that uh he and i are very different but we really enjoy preaching side by side and or uh do, yeah and it's and it, to hear guys like cam and and ryan and yeah right across the board and brad and yeah it's good um anything else is encouraging yeah yeah Oh, yeah, the Alpha program, especially in the last one, uh, just so many. Yeah, so many people that came through it. Yeah, it's, it's it's really exciting. It's it's amazing. And to see so many people coming to faith. Like on Sunday, um, Pastor Sam was telling me about this. He said uh, before Sunday even began, before even services began, somebody came up to him and, and was sharing that he had decided that morning to give his life to Jesus. <laughs> his, not, not even the message had, had happened yet. And so what I see is a lot of life change happening, Uh, some really exciting life change happening. Uh, So I I am quite optimistic. Yes, yes, there are some things about the church in North America that drive me crazy. But uh, I just try to stay off TikTok and I don't see all the things. Yes. but here, here's the thing, yes, there's a lot of staleness in church history, as we've studied in other classes, but we've also seen lots of vibrancy. And I think one of the reasons why the church grew, and you remember this from a course I taught uh, about just over a year ago, but the early church, one of the reasons why the early church grew is that they had a vision for what it meant to be human. And this vision of humanness was very different from the vision of humanness that the Romans had. And so in the second and the third century, uh, the way the Christians lived their life, they had a different vision of what it meant to be human. And and they were accused of all sorts of things. They were accused of being haters of humanity, which is ironic because they actually cared for humanity, including women, including girls, which were often seen as, as well. According to the Greeks, uh, um, the female was a deformed male. I mean, that's that's hardly a a, a great uh, culture that would elevate women, and and there was a disparate uh, disparity between the number of men and the number of women. But Christians had a very different view of what it means to be human, a very elevated view of our humanness. And I think in many ways the church could be accused of turning things right side up <laughs> instead of turning things upside down. It's, it's this different view of humanness that is going to be the theme of this class and I think it's a it's a it's a call for us um as a church to form a counterculture to this world. And I think the worst thing a person can say about the church is this you know what the church you're no different than anyone else. That is the worst thing I think um, that could be levied against the church. You're no different than anyone else. And it's interesting how hard the church sometimes tries to say, hey, we're not like those weird churches. We're cool. We're we're hip. We're the happening church. And we do things just the way you guys do. And they try to blend. They try to blend. Um, and they want to be like everyone else. And I, I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I was out with this buddy of mine who I hadn't seen for a while, and as a brand new Christian, I'd gone to this place to share Jesus with him. And I ended up getting drunk with him for every day for a month. And at the end of the month, he looked at me. He says, You say you're a Christian, but I don't notice any difference in you. And that really hit me. And I don't think the church is in danger. Of becoming too peculiar a people. <laughs> um, I think we're pretty content to blend. And I, I this seems to run against God's vision for his people and for this world. And so one of the key themes of the Bible, as you know, is that um is that the Bible that God calls a people to belong to him. Um, He calls for a people to become a holy nation, a nation set apart, a transformed and transforming people, not conformed to the ways of the world. Right. But to be reflect the character of his mission for the world. And, And that's God says, he says to Israel, he says, I'm the Lord, your God, you shall not do as they did, as they do in the land of Egypt, where you dwelt and where and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall do my ordinances, keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. And so to be the people of God means to follow his commandments and and not to take the lead from our surrounding culture. But that is a challenge. That was a challenge for Israel. And here's the secret. It's a challenge for the church, big time. It is a challenge for the church today. Uh, we've been invited into this new humanity, but oh, the old ways of living, the old idols, or even new idols, um, come up in our lives all the time. So this is this is. I just want to set this up because there's a calling that God gives us to become a, a, a brand new people, and so I'd like us to uh, to dive into. The Sermon on the Mount, and in in particular, what we're going to be looking at in this class, um, the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is where we're going to be spending our time as we look at the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, okay? Right at the beginning. Seeing the crowds. Jesus went up on the mountain. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, these are the Beatitudes that we're going to be looking at tonight. Or starting to look at. Now I love G.K. Chesterton. as a social commentator from the early 20th century. He says this. On first reading the Sermon on the Mount. You feel that it turns everything upside down. And it really does. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. The problem is, we've heard this so many times. It's like, oh yeah, blessed are the meek. This is strange teaching. So Chesterton says, on first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that is impossible. The second time you feel that nothing else is possible. And over these next number of weeks, we are going to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, who is the smartest person who ever lived, and we're going to hear him preach the most explosive words that the world has ever heard, words that we know as the Beatitudes. And so we may end up as a church, people in the church having our world rocked. And I hope, I hope in this class your world will be rocked. Um, I'm really excited about this. this is this is great stuff and and uh yeah,, on, I'm getting ahead of myself. No other sayings have impacted the world as these have. When taken seriously, this is revolutionary. When we take Jesus's teaching here, seriously, there's a revolution. It will change your life. and you know what will happen? You and I will become more human, and so my posture that I'm bringing to this class, just so you know, I am a fellow sojourner with you. I'm discovering, I'm reading stuff. Uh, Mike's going to be uh, teaching one of the classes. He's reading stuff. We're learning about Jesus's teaching, in the Sermon on the Mount, and there's some great People who have gone ahead of us and who have reflected on the Sermon on the Mount. For example, one guy that I'm drawing on uh, quite a bit is Darrell Johnson, um, Vancouver's greatest preacher, Um, one of the best preachers out there. Um, There's a guy that he recommends that I've also been reading from the early 1930s, a missionary, a guy named E. Stanley Jones. Another person who's actually written quite a bit about the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, he wrote a famous book in World War, well, just on the uh, lead up to World War II, in in the 30s, who ends up dying in prison. What's this guy's name? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And what was the name of the book he wrote? Do you know? The Cost of Discipleship. That's based on... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, John Stott's written a really good book on it. I like Stott. Uh, Martin (laughs) Lloyd-Jones wrote a very detailed commentary on it. Uh, Lots of really smart people. So I'm a fellow sojourner with you. I'm discovering stuff along with you. Um, But it's my desire to become a Sermon on the Mount kind of person. (laughs) And so I want the truths of the Beatitudes To permeate my heart so deeply that my affections are changed. How I spend my time changes. My priorities will change. My deepest desires will be changed according to Jesus' teaching on the mount. Because Jesus is alive in ways that I am not. He sees things in ways that I do not see. And so my desire is to be increasingly, as Paul puts it, conformed to the way, to the image of Christ. So... That's what we're going to be doing. I like E. Stanley Jones. I'll give you a quote. The Sermon on the Mount was and is seditious. It finally puts Jesus on the cross. It finally put Jesus on the cross. And it will do the same for his followers who follow it in modern life. But it would not end there. There would be a resurrection so great, so transforming in human living that we would know by actual experimentation that it is the only way for us to live there. So we're going to begin, we're going to look at the context of the Beatitudes. And the context is this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount um, covers Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. So the Sermon on the, how many of you are somewhat familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, a little bit? No? No, you guys? Okay. Okay for those of you who are familiar with it what and just going by memory and what what disturbs what's disturbing about the sermon on the mount you guys can can put it on the on the chat what disturbs you about jesus's teaching in matthew 5 through 7 The the paradoxes. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of paradoxes in there. Yeah, very good. Good. What else? It's hard. Yeah, it's it's intimidating, isn't it? Because you look at it, it's like, whoa. If this is how I'm supposed to live my life, how am I going to live this out? Yeah. How does it end? At the very end, it says... The very last thing that Jesus says, he goes, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. End of sermon. I mean, if I ended a sermon that way, if I said, you know, and then, you know, you people, I, you know, I get letters. Because you got to say something positive. Like, why wouldn't Jesus, I'm <laughs> uh, hearing a guy say this this week, why wouldn't Jesus switch those around? And the final part be, and those who build their life on the rock will stand. The end. And people will be like, oh, yeah, so I need to build. But he said, no. You build it on sand, you're going to be swept away. And what a mess that's going to be. Let's pray. Right? So it's, 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 It's intense, but it's powerful. And the Sermon on the Mount is interesting. The Sermon on the Mount is is such strong, powerful, challenging teaching that leave it to Christians to come up with all sorts of interpretations to downplay its significance in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Like it's it's strange. So Christians have actually interpreted the um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, in in many ways. They they've softened it, reduced it, recontextualized it, reimagined the teaching in order to make it well more Christian. <laughs> like Jesus needed our help on this one, right? Um, and it's made the sermon much more harmless and less convicting. So uh, here's some of the ways that it's been understood. Well, you know, the Beatitudes, that sort of teaching. Well, those are ethics, but therefore, like when we go to heaven, therefore, at the very end of time, not for now, obviously, because n- nobody could live this out. Um, so this is for at the very end of time. And if usually you see this kind of teaching, and we won't go into details, but it's dispensational teaching that says these ethics are actually for a kingdom to come, not for now. They don't apply to now. Secondly, you hear people say, no, no, these these ethics that we come across, this teaching that we come across in the Sermon on the Mount, it's for the really holy people. It's for the really holy people. I mean, people who, you know, are really kind of sold out in this whole Jesus thing. Um, Maybe those who are in monastic orders, in holy orders. Ordinary people cannot attain this and should not try. Now, in a strange way, evangelicals fall into this camp as well, because evangelicals, even though we don't say this, when we read the Beatitudes, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're like, yeah, you know, whoa, that's uh, that's pretty intense. You know, for, I know some of you are probably really into this whole church thing, I get it, but uh, for most of us, man, that's just, yeah. Dallas Willard, he talks about this guy, he says, He says, once after I had spoken on the Beatitudes, a lady approached me, expressing great relief at what she had just heard. Oh, she told me her son had dropped his Christian identification and left the church because of the Beatitudes. He was a strong, intelligent man who had made the military his profession. As often happens, he had been told that the Beatitudes, with its list of the poor and the sad, the weak and the mild, were a picture of the ideal Christian. And he explained to his mother very simply, Well, that's not me. I could never be like that. And so he walked away. And a lot of people, they look at this and like, whoa, man, this is just for really intense people. The other way the the um uh Sermon on the Mount has been understood is that it's it's ethics, yes, they're pretty intense and they're 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 quite a uh, poignant picture of what it means to walk and be like Jesus. But what, why they're given to us is to show us that on our own, we could never do this. We could never live like this. So it's to reveal in our hearts, our sin and turn us towards the cross. So they serve as a mirror to convict us, to turn us towards the cross. And that's it. Or these are ethics, but they're ethics that are kind of private. They're personal use. They don't have any public implication. Or these are ethics. These are teachings that only apply to the first century church. They don't apply to the church today. Or they are the ethics of an in-breaking kingdom. And it's what happens when the kingdom of God takes hold of individuals, communities, and nations. So we're going to look at this. Um, Along with different interpretations, the church has given the Sermon on the Mount a variety of titles. I've come across a few of them this week. One of them is called uh, The Manifesto of the King. I like that. Another one is called The State of the Universe. (laughs) The State of the Universe Address. as Dale Bruner's. I like that one. Uh, J.I. Packer calls it uh, the royal family code because of the number of times uh, we read in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Father, father is mentioned 17 times. There's one that's called, uh, somebody called the Sermon on the Mount, the life that can begin again. And it's interesting. The guy who said who coined this is a guy named Helmut Thielicke. Gerd, I think he, I told you about this guy. He's a German theologian pastor. And um, he, he, he he preaches on this right after his church and his city had been leveled through Allied bombing in Germany. Another one is called uh, The Enormous Exception, that's Earl Palmer, Life on the Rock, Dallas Willard, Exceeding Righteousness, that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and this and it's really interesting, Bonhoeffer, um, who was a theologian, a German theologian, started a seminary, or he ran a seminary in a place called Finkelwald in Germany, and he had his students, they're all German students, who are all wanting to study German liberal propositional truth, and he starts teaching them about community and meditating on God's word and listening to the Spirit. And the students, all these German students, are like, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. No, that's not very good. Uh, <laughs> but they get really upset with them. <laughs> that, was, that was my Irish German uh, German accent. Yes. Whenever I do a, an English accent, uh, Pat Devaney, she just sits there and she's just like, don't, just just don't, just don't. But uh, Bonhoeffer's students were very perplexed by his teaching, though, because they said, this is not how we learn. Uh, you're teaching us something that, that needs to go beyond our head and into our hearts, right? And uh, the uh, seminary was actually shut down by the Gestapo. And as, as while he was there, Bonhoeffer wrote uh, "The Cost of Discipleship," I believe, is when he was there. Yeah, uh, Christian counterculture, John Stott, um, and then Daryl Johnson's. I like his is the gospelized humanity. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so Jesus preaches his sermon. Now, notice when he preaches his sermon. This is important. The context is absolutely key, and we need to get the context of when Jesus preaches the sermon. Because if we don't, we can fall into one of two ditches. And these are the two ditches that people fall into. One is the ditch of idealism. And that is, oh, yeah, who can be like this? Okay, I'll try, I'll try. And then when I mess up, I feel discouraged. And what's the expression? You you, you scratch a cynic and you have a disillusioned idealist, right? And most people were cynical at one time, were idealistic. And they, they just come to the conclusion that these beatitudes are just, just too difficult. The other one is legalism. Uh, and and is where people say, Hey, you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Well, you need to become meek. Josh, you meek? You're not meek enough. You need to be meek like me, right? And so what happens is people try really hard to take on the characteristics of the Sermon on the Mount, but they measure themselves by usually by other people. It's like, well, I'm meek. Maybe I'm not meek, but I'm meeker than, you know, you compare yourself, right? So this is, this is, we need, so in order to understand the Beatitudes, we need to, we need to root it in 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 the gospel and and it begs the question what is a gospel and this is where we get the context look what it says in um in uh in matthew thank you that's the word i'm looking for in matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 And we read and jesus went throughout the galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, pains, oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them and great crowds followed him. Right. Right. Actually, let's back up just even a bit more to uh, John uh, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is when Jesus begins to preach. He says, for repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in, in Mark's version, we, we get um, Jesus right in, in Mark chapter 1. What does he say? He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is verse 14. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, and the good news. And so we get this teaching, we have to realize, we get this teaching after Jesus announces the gospel. That's important. Jesus is carrying out his public ministry and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he went, went throughout, the, uh, throughout the land, healing people. So what is the good news that Jesus is proclaiming with his coming? And uh, as uh, Daryl Johnson it, he says, those are the two big questions of life. The, big que- the two biggest questions of life are, who is Jesus? And what is this good news? Those are the two most important questions a person can ask. And so we know that, that um, the big news is that his, in his coming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And because of the coming of Jesus, history has reached a crisis point and will never be the same again. That God's kingdom is breaking into this world in a very unique way. And in Mark, what does it say? It says the time is fulfilled. And what's the word time? Does anybody know what the word is? It's a fan, it's a different kind of word. Does anybody know the word? Ah, yeah, I heard both of it. There's one word time, and it has two words that can be translated time. One is chronos, chronological, tick tock time. What time is it? And the other one is Young, Did you say it or no? Oh, Betty, Kairos, yes, which is the fullness of time, the right time, the right time. And it's the word kairos that is used in this text. It is the right time. And Jesus is saying something huge. Um, The world is entering a new era and things will never be the same again. God's glorious reign of, of justice, love, grace, hope is breaking in on humanity. And so the good news of Jesus is, yes, we've been forgiven, but it's more than that. The good news of Jesus is not that we receive eternal life and when we trust in him, though it is that, it's not, but that's not it. The good news of Jesus is not just about being adopted into God's family, though it is that. The good news of Jesus Christ is that a new world order has decisively broken into this world, the kingdom of God and the possibilities of a new humanity are now at hand because Jesus has entered into this world. You believe that? Amen. Yeah. Okay. So then the question is, how do you respond to this? And Jesus says, how do you respond? What's the word he uses? Repent. Now, that's often got a bad connotation. Repent! You need to repent! Especially if you say it that way. Is that think is? with my, with this other German accent. Repent, no, that's an American accent. Yeah, they all said. Um, the word is metanoia. And and metanoia means a change of mind. So many of you guys know this. Uh, means, metanoia means a change of mind, changing the way you think, a change of direction. It means we need to change the way we've seen reality. It means to think again, think again. You've been heading in this one direction and you're only hitting dead ends. You need to turn around and live according to these better realities, these true realities, these kingdom realities. And so the Sermon on the Mount, according to John Stott, describes what human life and human community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. When our lives come under the gracious rule of God, guess what? Our lives look different different from the world and that's what jesus teaches his followers to follow him to align your life to him entails a very different way of living and so that's why we read in matthew chapter 6 verse 8 in the in the middle of the sermon on the mount jesus says he talks about the gentiles and he says don't be like them don't be like them and he says, don't be like the Gentiles. And they like to, you know, lots of words and I like to sound all fancy and whatever. And, but he's also saying, don't be like the Pharisees either, who like to do their work, good work, so that people look at them and, and they get the attention, right? Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not like any of those things. We are called to live differently. Different from the stale religion we see in churches. Different from the way the world works. And so Jesus offers us a picture of what this looks like. What does this look like? So I had some diagrams in your notes. Now, this is me trying to work on pages, trying to do diagrams, and it's not very good. Um, but hey, I'll just explain to you in diagram form what this looks like. You have to know that in the Old Testament, typically, what was understood is that, and, and you know, in the story of the Old Testament, that God had a perfect creation, and then humanity, instead of conforming and living under God's gracious um, ordinances, they chose to take matters into their own hands and live their own way to be gods unto themselves, basically, and that leads to the fall. Okay, and most of the Old Testament is is being is playing out of of God repairing this damage, and he repairs this damage, he's repairing this damage through a guy named Abraham, and through his offspring, you're going to make you into a great nation, and, and through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed, but by the time you get to the, uh, to the New Testament, the understanding was this, is that there will come a day, there will come a day far in the future, the day of the Lord, when History will come to an end, and then and only then the kingdom of God will come. And the kingdom of God is beautiful, it's wonderful. There's no Romans around, it's, it's, it's really good. But that day is to come in the future. And part of that day of the Lord is, guess what? Resurrection. We will all be resurrected, we will all live again. But that's coming day in the future. And then in the midst of this, you have this person, Jesus, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so you get the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is basically the day of the Lord in a way. It's the it's, it's day that was anticipated to be in the future, including resurrection happening now, breaking into the present. And so heaven enters into the present. The future enters into the present. And what it means is that is that the kingdom of God and many of the benefits of the kingdom of God, we can experience here and now because of what Jesus has done. And so that's why when we talk about heaven, sometimes we think of heaven as, oh, when I die and I go up to heaven as if heaven is, I don't know, just near Mars, uh, you know, somewhere up there. Um, no, heaven is 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 where God reigns. It's, a, it's more of a dimension than, than a space. And so here in, in, in Matthew, he loves using kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God, but it means the same thing. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has broken into now. And so therefore you and I can expect if we are in Christ to experience this foretaste of what life for eternity is going to look like. Eternal life begins now. And that's why you can see healing. That's why you can see transformation. That's why we believe that God is still in the business of doing miracles today. Are you following me? This is really, really important. That the kingdom of heaven is broken into the now. It's it's described in theological terms. We are living in the already, but not yet. Yet. It's already in the sense that we can experience the presence of God. We can experience the Holy Spirit empowering us, transforming us, giving us a a taste for the things of God. And yet the reality is, is we're all still probably going to die. And so so you get that already, but not yet, dimension to the kingdom of God right now. And I find a lot of Christians... We, and, and this is our own fault, because what we do is that we, we, we teach the gospel. We say, hey, believe in Jesus, and you get hit by a bus, you get to go to heaven. Well, what do I do in the meantime? Doesn't matter, but when you die, you get to go to heaven. And, and we just look at the gospel as, hey, well, at least I got this insurance that when I get hit by a bus, I'll be okay. Which is not bad news. It is good news, but it's so much more than that. And we forget all what we're called to live in now. Does that make sense? We're going to come back to this because this is really, really important. This, man, we need to get this because this is how you understand the Christian life. This is why I can say, you know what? I can pray for healing and God in his grace may bring about healing now. It's a foretaste of what is to come. Now, there's a mystery to that. I mean, we, we, we won't go into that right now, but this is a context of the Beatitudes. and We need to see this. The time is fulfilled. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are there. You, how about my cyber friends? You guys tracking with me? Okay. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new world order. Now, we need to hold on to this. is true. And, and the, one of our challenges is to believe what we say we believe. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is infiltrating and affecting the kingdoms of this world. So Jesus is introducing a new and transformed humanity. And this transformed humanity is not through human effort. Not through our own self-effort. You got that? Repeat after me. Not through our own self-effort. Yes. Oh, we fall into this all the time. Again, if you try to live the Christian life on your own, I dare you to try to live the Beatitudes on your own effort. You will end up, and the theological term I like to use is toast. You will be toast. Jesus has not come to challenge us to try harder. When the gospel gets hold of us, you and I will change. And many of you can already give testimony to this, right? When we fail to be and do what God calls us to be and do, we've lost touch with the truths of the gospel. And so our focus tonight is the preacher of the sermon. Do we trust him? So we're going to be looking at uh, the first part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But I just want to say one more thing, and then we'll dive. I know this is a big introduction to the Beatitudes, but we have to look at the context. Um, it's interesting, and I just I just came across this tonight. Um, I never noticed it before. If you have your Bible still open, look at Matthew chapter seven. Um, Oh, no, we we already talked about that, how he ends his sermon. It's it's kind of abrupt. But the second thing I want to look at is look at how people react. Look in verse 28, chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And at the end of each of his teachings, um, people are in awe of his authority. And it's interesting the word, the uh the Greek word uh for authority is this word um exousia, uh, which means um from the south, some, from the self, <laughs> from the self, um, out of oneself. So Jesus is not teaching somebody else's thoughts, this is coming out of the authority that he has. And it's interesting, um just as an aside, if you read the book of Matthew, how Matthew is structured, this is just a geeky thing. But if you look at the book of Matthew, you'll notice, and if you have a red letter Bible, it's really easy to see. Um, you'll notice is, as you flip through, you're going to find five chunks of red. Five chunks There's So what Matthew does is he kind of condenses Jesus's teachings into five sections the first section is uh, the sermon on the mount why do you think he does that why do you think he organizes jesus's teaching that way different audience yeah no you're right it's true what's he trying to communicate do you think Now, notice where is Jesus teaching this? the The sermon, the sermon on, on in the valley? No, what's it? The sermon on the on the mount. So he's presenting, he's presenting the way to live, almost like commandments from the mountain. All right, five sections to the book of Matthew five. Think of it. Think of the book of the the the, um, the Torah. What is the Torah made up of? The five books of Moses. And there's thought that Matthew he organizes his his his, uh, his, his gospel this way to mirror and to show how Jesus um, is a greater Moses. It's really interesting. And one thing that's interesting—I mean, it's just these little things—but I read to you about um, how Jesus ministers to the great crowds right before Chapter Five. He goes throughout the uh, Syria, and they bring all the sick and all the afflicted and all those who are oppressed by demons. And great crowds followed him. What's really interesting is that if you look at um, if you look at um, at at Chapter Nine, right at the end, um, Chapter Nine, Verse Thirty-Five. You have the same, almost the exact same thing written, and so that almost that also bookends the the uh, the important teaching in the middle. Okay, so the greatest need, East E. Stanley Jones, the missionary, the greatest need of modern Christianity is the rediscovery of the Sermon on the Mount as the only practical way to live. So, with that in mind, let's look at the Beatitudes. Here we go. The Beatitudes. Look at them again. Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me just ask you, I'm going to give you guys just, oh, actually, look at their time. Uh, Will I give you this time? Well, we'll just do it open right now. How many of you have ever studied the Beatitudes before? Assuming you have, yeah, Gerdin, no, a little bit, a long time ago, yeah. Anybody here study Beatitudes? Yeah, Mike, you have, yeah, Jack, yeah. A few of you, yeah, Laurie, of course, yeah. And lots of people without their cameras on, I'm sure, are going like this, yeah, no, that's okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you like about the Beatitudes? What's that? It elevates the marginalized. Very good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. The idea of blessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it that kind of intimidates you or makes you uncomfortable? So specific.
1: It's so specific.
0: about a blessing or a need for their Mine I've got to be meek, but actually, I've done a setting on that particular. Yeah, it's a, it doesn't mean that at all. It's okay. Scary, really. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it it's sort of pinpoint something that you know, I don't want to go there. Yeah, it exposes your own heart. Like for me, when I say blessed are the meek, it's like, well, I'm anything but meek. I mean, I guess I could try being meek. No, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it is challenging. Did you see my answer to you when you said, what the peacemakers? Yes, I yes, that. I saw that. I appreciated that. <laughs> Very humbling, yes. Yeah, because you read that, it, it's like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Jeremy just put it, or, or it could be Sylvia. yeah. Uh, Jesus raises the bar so far above uh, the law of Moses, yeah, and he raises it. It's, it's a high bar for sure. Well, we're going to dive into the Beatitudes just by way of intro. Um, we're going to look at uh, Matthew's version. It does show up in Luke as well. It's slightly different, and we'll look at some comparisons along the way. But primarily, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter five, two. Uh, Matthew chapter five. First thing to point out: just going to make some observations tonight. First thing is this: is uh, the phrase "theirs is a kingdom." Bless you. Uh, blessed, bless you, and blessed are you. Yes. Uh blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now notice the last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It repeats. And many commentators have pointed out that that. Bookending, that framing of theirs is the kingdom of heaven, would indicate that that the phrase theirs is the kingdom of heaven applies to all the Beatitudes in between. And so, blessed are those who mourn for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and blessed are the meek for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger for or thirst for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so on. Um, and notice, notice this, this, is another observation, is notice that it does not say, blessed are the meek, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. And it says, no, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the key point is that we're being given a glimpse of what the new humanity that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension brings about, what it looks like, what it looks like now, E. Stanley Jones points out that the Beatitudes are the center of the Christian life. They describe the core of the Christian, what the Christian heart looks like. You and I cannot live on the circumference. <laughs> I like that. But we need to be alive at the center. And the Beatitudes paint a picture of what this life is. And I, I was thinking about this, how often we live our lives. How many people I meet? who live their lives on the circumference of life, but have no center. And so they have a lot of things going on at work or at home, school, social life. They got a lot of things going on, but they lack the core. And if you point that out, it gets very, very uncomfortable. I was speaking to a person a couple of weeks ago, um, not a Christian, but this um very different background and so i was sharing a little bit of my story and, and and comparing with his story and i was telling you how i lived my life without a core and this guy you know he's very successful seems to be very successful um but i i think it was lacking in, in 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 a core um and and not this guy i meet a lot of people like this and this is what i experienced i live my life on the periphery and but i was empty of the core and i think A lot of people, let me put it this way. I think the biggest challenge we have as human beings is the challenge of a depleted sense of self. We do not understand who we are. We have no center. We're not centered. And as a result, we end up falling into, guess how many? Seven deadly sins. All these seven deadly sins around us. Without a core identity, we live in futility and cynicism and shallowness. So that's the first thing. The second thing to point out, and this is uh, something that uh, Daryl Johnson points out, is the use of pronouns. Um, we read, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Uh, but we what we need to know is that the the theirs for them. That's actually at the beginning of each clause. It's not at the end. And so it's stressing that this is something we have. This is something that belongs to those at the center. Um, It literally says in the Greek, to them. It begins with to them. So the emphasis is that this is something that when we are aligned to Jesus, we have. It's not we do all this, do all this, and then we get it. It's we we have, and then he he lays it out. And so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, for their for theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The other thing to point out is the unity of the beatitudes. What the Beatitudes is not describing, it's not describing eight different kinds of people. So, you know, yeah, you somebody, how are you doing? Great. Yeah, you know, I got the whole the whole meek thing doing. I am doing pretty good at being meek. Uh my friend, uh my friend Lihua, she's 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 way better at being merciful than I am. But, you know, I'm doing pretty good at being me. And my poor buddy, oh, he's in so much trouble. He's really good at being persecuted. But, you know, he says dumb things all the time, right? Um, no, he's not. Like This is not describing eight different people. Uh, and, and it's it's what Jesus is describing are eight interrelated qualities that emerge in a, what he would say, a kingdomized person. When the kingdom of God gets hold of us, these are qualities that will emerge in our hearts. The poor in spirit are also the meek. And the meek are pure in heart, and the pure in heart are peacemakers, and so on. And so they're interrelated. You know what kept reminding me uh, when I was studying the uh, Beatitudes is the connection between them. And the Ten Commandments. Remember when we were stating the Ten Commandments? And every time we looked at a commandment, it's like, wow, that connects to that commandment, which connects to this commandment. If you do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, right? It also reminded me of the seven deadly sins, but you don't want to, you know how the seven deadly sins are all, all interrelated. The other thing is, and yeah, babe. Yes. Yeah, so, how how does this play out in us? How and you're asking the right question. And there's go, there's lots of ink spilled on this. So, what does this mean? Like, it's one thing to say that this is this is what it looks like when a person is gospelized. They are meek. They are wanting to mourn. They and you know, so the questions that come to mind are the questions that you're you're just asking. Um, are these things that are naturally going to show up in our lives? Are these things that we need to somehow make space for in our lives? Is there an intentionality of what we do or not do for these things to show up? These are questions we're gonna be asking in the weeks to come, but that is a very important question. How do do these show up? Um, The other thing is that there's a sequential, there's a sequential side to them. that the one follows the other. And so to be poor in spirit somehow is connected to those who mourn, which is somehow connected to those who are meek, which is connected to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. John Christosom writes, um, Therefore, you see in each instant by the former precept making its way for the following one, Jesus has woven a sort of golden chain for us. Thus first, He that is humble will surely also mourn for his own sins, so that he that mourns will also be meek and righteous and merciful. He that is merciful and righteous and contrite will also be pure in heart, and such a one will be a peacemaker too. We erase this in the fourth century. Now, one of the words that we need to unpack a little bit is this word blessed. What in the world does that word mean? What does it mean to be blessed? I just think, just as an aside, I think it's interesting that in many world religions, I was thinking about Buddhism, the the framing question, the the important question is, is how to understand suffering. Is it an illusion? Is it Maya? So we're we're in, in Christianity, the framing question is, is always about joy. It's always about, you know, blessedness. Um, and I think that's why we have worship. In, in Christianity, you don't find worship in in, in 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 world religions. Is there a difference between blessed and blessedness? Well, let's talk about that. Let's look at it. Lots of ink has been spilt, trying to get the exact meaning of blessed correct. Blessed is joy, but it's more than joy. I've seen some translations translate this word. The word is... Um, Macarius, that's the word that's translated blessed, Macarius. Um, I he, I often see it translated as happy. Happy. Have you ever, has anybody seen that? that there is a translation of the happier, the happier, the happier. I, I struggle with that one because I don't think it has the depths. 'Cause happy, you know. How you, I feel happy. Yeah, it was my birthday. It's, I'm happy. Oh, you know, I got a you know free McDonald French fries. I'm feeling happy. I got a happy meal. There, you know, you got a happy meal. Yeah. But it, I mean, the word happy comes from. It's it's connected to you know the word happenstance. So it's the conditions that you happen to be in that that lead to all this. And it's 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 okay. But the problem with happy is that the, all the focus is on me, on how I feel about things. And But the word makarios, blessed, refers to how God assesses us in our condition. And this is really important. It really doesn't matter how you happen to feel at any given moment. God tells us that in Christ, because of the kingdom, you are blessed, right? So blessedness is an objective state. It's not based on how you may or may not be feeling at one particular point. So what would be better? I've come across different ones. Somebody says, how about fortunate? Fortunate are the meek. I don't know. That's kind of too connected to paganism, I think, you know, with luck and things like that. So one person says, how about approved? Approved are the meek. Approved are those who are mourned. That's getting, it's not bad. It kind of reminds me of a credit card company. You know, you're approved, right? (laughs) Another way I've heard it translated is congratulations. Congratulations to the meek. That's not bad. The problem is it sounds like I've done something to get congratulated for. (laughs) Karl Barth, the distinguished theologian, Swiss theologian, said it'd be best to translate it as, you lucky bums, you lucky bums. I like that one, but I'm not sure. I added my own, I thought groovy, groovy are the me, right? Why not? Might catch on. One person said right side up. I like that one, in sync, aligned, now it's getting closer, but it's it's an elusive word. It kind of means all those things. But one of the things we need to know about the Beatitudes is that there it's not a modest program for self-improvement um you know here's how to become a little more meek. Hey, you want to be more meek in your life here follow Jesus teaching. no none of us by our own effort can pursue can, can uh, produce a state of blessedness. Is always going to be a supernatural gift of grace. And we need to get this. If you don't get this, you're going to fall into frustration and cynicism or self-righteousness. And where you say, you know what? I may not be meek like Matthew 5, but hey, I'm more meek than Rick. You know, that's what it comes down to, right? We have to make sure it's immersed in grace. Same with the Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments don't begin with, the first commandment, the Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery, out of out of Egypt, right? It begins with grace. And so none of us are naturally beatitude people. And we know that because when Jesus arrives at the Sea of Galilee and he's looking for disciples, he doesn't say, "Hey, there's Peter. He seems meek." There's John. He seems like a guy who's mourning. You know, it's just he just they just he just picks people, ordinary fishermen to follow him into his kingdom. The same with us. But when we walk with Jesus, when we submit to his kingdom ways and values, something begins to happen to us. This gets to your question, Betty. The qualities he blesses begin to show up in our lives. You see, the first beatitude does not say, "Blessed are the poor in spirit; therefore, theirs is the kingdom of heaven." It says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." It's not therefore; it's because. If it was therefore, then I would try really hard to be poor in spirit in order to get some of the kingdom of heaven. But all the Beatitudes are the result of the kingdom of God breaking in through our lives. They're the result of us taking a U-turn and aligning our lives with Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, our hearts begin to shape in Beatitude shapes. And so the Beatitudes don't just happen to us. We're not passive. So what do we do? We're going to talk about this. But we don't arrive at the Beatitudes through self-effort. We're called continually to repent and to believe. Repent and believe. We're called to turn away from the circumference, from the edges, and get back to the center. And in the long haul, day after day, we will be transformed. And we will begin to see that this world that we thought was right side up is actually upside down and and Jesus' kingdom is actually right side up. And we can live out this new life. And so our entryway into a new humanity, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm really, have I mentioned I'm excited about this course? Have I mentioned? Because to me, like I'm a fellow pilgrim with you and I know I have, Ways of, of my heart that I don't like, and I really would want to press into this new humanity that Jesus and the gospel has on offer. Betty, I would say, the of being. well, having the be the attitudes, the, having the attitude of being like Christ. Yeah, I, I like it. I. L- I like it. The only downside is that it puts a lot of onus on me. Yeah, well, I mean, it gets it gets tiring pretty soon trying to be like Jesus. What's that? Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm good. <laughs> but this is what we're going to be looking at um, in our time together. And so what i like to, do, because I want us to get to the point where we got this inside and out. So I'm going to read the Beatitudes again, just as we're wrapping up and leave you with a few questions to think about, and then we'll open it up to some questions. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying, and by the way, whenever you read in the Bible, And someone opened his mouth. It's a position of teaching and authority. Just so you know, you'll come across that quite often. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, we're excited to enter into this journey. Uh, we are thankful for your word and that we can never plumb the depths of your word. And this is a new humanity, a new life, uh, um, a gospelized humanity, a, a kingdomized humanity that um, we are invited into. And so with excitement, with a bit of fear, with a bit of trembling, we 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 follow you into this. And so we do pray as in the, um, in the days and weeks to come that this would not just be something, some Bible study that we're doing that's somehow out there, but we do pray that it would be transformative, that you would change us uh, into the people that you want us to be. And so that's our desire, and we lay this before you. Have mercy upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.